We were given two very different experiences, both on one mountain in the first reading and in the gospel. In the first reading, we have the anxiety of Abraham as he's told at the bottom of the mountain that he must offer his son uh, in death to the father and the anxiety that he has to bear all the way going up the mountain. And then we have, on the other hand, the glorious transfiguration of Christ previewing his resurrection, which previews our resurrection. And thinking about why the church would include these polar opposite experiences in the readings whenever the church normally harmonizes the readings very clearly, I could only think about an experience that we as Catholics all have within the church that includes both anxiety and resurrection, which is the experience of confession. As we anxiously go into confession, because we have to confess our sins and our evil deeds, but also the resurrection of being reconciled to Christ and living in the state of sanctifying grace. And so this is going to be a long homily. I'm going to talk about who is to go to confession, why we go to confession, what to confess, how to confess, and the benefits of confession. And so, beginning our long trek, who goes to confession? The answer is, everyone who is baptized and beyond the age of reason, which is seven. Who goes to confession is not simply murderers, crooks, adulterers, and kidnappers. We all go to confession. I try to go to confession once every two weeks, and I don't go to confession in the mirror. I go to confession to another priest. And it is an experience that is filled with anxiety because more often than not, I'm texting the priest so they know that it's me, but always one that is filled with resurrection because I am restored to grace through that confession. And as a recommendation, how often to go to confession is monthly because if our spiritual life is the most important part of our existence, it would be foolish to only go to confession when I'm in need of resurrection. But rather, in going to confession frequently, I am able to have a deeper awareness of my own sinfulness, but also a deeper awareness of God's grace, a deeper awareness of my weakness so that I can grow in holiness, and a deeper awareness of um, where my weaknesses are so that power can be made perfect within me. And so the next question that we have to ask is what do I confess? And this is going to take some time. First, oh, sorry, before getting to what to confess, why we go to confession. So two reasons, scripturally and philosophically. First, scripturally. The one time that Jesus speaks most clearly about the mission of the forgiveness of sins is after his resurrection, when he approaches 
the 12 apostles, those 12 men that he has already given the power to consecrate the host and the wine into his body and blood, he gives those same 12 men this authority, as stated in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and whose sins you retain are retained. Translation, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive the sins of anyone, they are not forgiven. And so why would Jesus do that? Philosophically, why? Simply put, is because God presses the complete button more often than the delete button. And so whenever he does this, what I mean by that is that Jesus, every Christian, Catholic and non-Catholic alike, would acknowledge that Jesus saves us through his humanity. Jesus saves us through his humanity. Whenever God becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ, that is a salvific act. Whenever the man Jesus Christ reverses our disobedience on the cross and dies for us, that is how we are saved. And so because God presses the complete button and not the delete button, whenever Jesus ascends into heaven and he removes his humanity from the earth, he also continues it in a ministerial and in a sacramental way. And the method by which he extends it is through his priesthood. Those same 12 men that he gave the power to do the most important two things that Jesus did while he was on earth. He gave his body and blood so that we can be in communion with him. And he gave us the forgiveness of sins so that we can be reconciled to him. God is more likely to press the complete rather than the delete button. And so he has these people who are an extension of his humanity, or we'd say an extension of his incarnation, also known as the priest, who gives his body and blood in the mass, the most important thing that Jesus has done, so that we can be in communion with him for all eternity, and so that we can be reconciled to the Father. And Jesus would rather do this through his humanity rather than not. And so while that's a first reason philosophically, there is at least one more that is worth talking about. And that is the nature of sin. There is no private sin. Every sin that is committed not only offends God, it also offends man. And because of that, there needs to be a reconciliation with man. Now, every sin that we commit offends the whole church. It weakens everyone. It has this butterfly effect. It would be both impractical and highly awkward if I had to confess my sins to the entire universal church. I don't know even exactly what that would look like. Maybe the Catholic Church would have one Facebook page that we all had to be a part of, and then we would have to post our sins so that everyone could know. Again, highly impractical and highly awkward. And so what the church does instead 
is has a representative of the church. That representative is the priest, who then is able to receive, as he extends the incarnation of Christ, uh, the uh, reconciling us to God, but also reconciling us to the church, because he is the church's representative and the minister, so that whenever we sin against our brother, which all sins are against our brother, we're reconciled horizontally to the church as well. So then moving on from that, what do we confess? What do we confess? It is necessary in a confession to confess grave sins in kind and number. And so it is um, my least favorite question to ask canonically um, within the confession. How many times or how frequent did you confess this sin? It's incredibly awkward, and I don't do it with any kind of curiosity. I'll get to later why I've only been hearing sins behind the screen and not allowing face-to-face, but that's part of the reason. So the reason why I would ask how many times are frequent is not to diagnose how to remedy your life. It is primarily just for the brass tacks validity of the confession. If we don't confess how many times or how frequent, then we're not certain that the confession is valid. The reason why the church would require that is because if I'm willing to commit the sin, then I should be willing to confess the sin. Or as the old adage goes, we name it, we claim it, and then we tame it. Because if I am willing to take ownership of the sin, then I'm also able to recover from it. And I'm able to um, be redeemed and saved from that sin. Because I'm no longer afraid of it. Because I can confess it. As, as Adam was given the power to name animals at the beginning of creation so that he might have dominion over them, God gives us the power to name our sins so that we might have dominion over them. And so we have to confess grave sins in kind and number. But let's say we're going to confession monthly and we don't have a grave sin. What do we confess? In addition to our grave sins, if we have them or if we don't have them, it's good to confess venial sins. And the reason is because confession is a sacrament of healing. And so when we're confessing our venial sins, we should really focus on not every venial sin, because that would take too much time, but those venial sins that are more habitual and oftentimes can become an occasion for a later mortal sin. So you could imagine a person who habitually commits the venial sin of foul language, but then because he's desensitized himself, then uh, eventually falls into bodily acts of impurity that then because this is the kind of domino that precedes the bigger domino, it would be good to confess those sins for the sake of healing. And then we can also confess those sins that have never been confessed, but that arise in our consciousness and just become abundantly clear, or those sins that we have a newfound remorse. It's very often that we go to confession and that we confess a sin with so much shame that we just kind of 
close our eyes and we confess it really quick and then we just forget about it. And then years down the road, we recognize, I want to repent from that sin with a greater contrition so that I can be healed from it greater. That's a fine and noble thing to do. While at the same time, we should not obsessively and scrupulously confess old sins that would have us doubt God's mercy. But then this leads to the question, what are grave sins if we have to confess them? It would be an impossible task to compile an exhaustive list of all of the mortal sins. But I can tell you uh, those sins that are commonly committed and commonly confessed. And I'll hopefully do it in a way to where you don't have to earmuff your children. So first, blaspheming God's name. This would have to be in a deliberate and not in a passing way of just simply using the Lord's name in vain. Missing Sunday Mass. There are some exceptions to this. If a person would work offshore and is not able to make it to Mass that weekend, then he would still be obligated to keep the divine law of keeping the Sabbath day holy. A practical way of doing that would be to pray the rosary and then to read the readings or to participate in a virtual Mass. Typically, vacation is not an occasion for missing Mass. This includes uh, other sins, serious dishonor to father and mother, drunkenness, a commonly committed sin, grave nonetheless, drug abuse, serious insults, serious anger, serious hatred, violence, abortion, abortifacient birth control while bodily active, unless there was an extenuating uh, medical circumstance. The plan B pill, adultery, fornication, marital acts not open to life, impure acts with oneself, viewing explicit material, stealing, serious lies, gossip about the mortal sin of another, and finally, receiving communion in a state of mortal sin. If I have committed any of these sins, then I'm to refrain from receiving communion at Mass because communion does not cause communion with God. Sacrament of reconciliation causes communion with God. Communion augments and increases our communion with God. But that's for another homily. Moving forward, how to confess. We should confess briefly with ownership of our sins, recognizing that we're the ones who committed them. So that would include avoiding long backstories, avoiding confessing other people's sins, and avoiding uh, couching a sin, a grave sin, amongst other venial sins. And so what it should look like procedurally is that we should confess those most grave sins first so that we can name them and have dominion over them and not downplay them. And then after having confessed those most grave sins in kind and number, 
confessing those venial sins that are more habitual. So the actual how-to of confession, getting more practical, is that whenever we come in, we say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been however long since my last confession, and these are my sins. Confessing those more grave sins first, and then the venial but habitual sins later. It would also, it's also a fine and noble thing to tell the priest what kind of state of life you are in. That I'm a married man with children, or I'm a single man, etc., etc. Once the sins have been confessed, then um, the priest will give you a penance. The, the kind of penances that I give are typically a decade of the rosary, ten glory bees, to pray with a psalm, to pray with a reading, and usually as a kind of remedy to the more grave sin or to the more habitual sin. In the same way that a physical therapist would work on the muscle that is weakest rather than the ones that are already strong. The penance should be remedial to where it brings healing to those more serious vices. So that if a person were to confess gossip, then to pray for the people that you've gossiped about would be a typical kind of penance that I would give. After uh, that, then you make the act of contrition, which is doesn't need to be memorized. It's it's in the confessional, and then um, I will say two things after the prayer after absolution, the prayer of absolution. It's not practiced often, but it's actually within the rubrics of confession. So I figure, why not? I'm starting new. Let's let's try it out. The first thing that the priest says is. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then the penitent would respond, his mercy endures forever. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. And then secondly, the priest would say, the Lord has freed you from your sins, go in peace. And then the penitent would say, thanks be to God. And so that's how it is procedurally. But you may, if you've been to confession uh, here since I've been here, you may have noticed that I've only heard confessions behind the screen. And so to bring clarity to why that is, I'm just going to explain a few reasons why I've only been hearing behind the screen. First, because confession is primarily between you and God. It's not primarily between you and me. And it's primarily about the forgiveness of sins. It's not primarily about counsel. I know that God will forgive you. I don't know if the counsel that I'm going to give you is actually going to help. Um, but the screen allows me to first be objective. It allows me to first be objective. There are some that I'm going to just know more than others, um, whether that just be through close friendship, through other relationships, or some that I don't know at all. And because it's primarily between you and God and not between you and me, then I would like to remain objective in order to do that. Secondly, face-to-face -face confessions tend by nature to be conversational. Once I make eye contact with somebody, I'm going to have to talk to them. It's like walking into a grocery store and making eye contact with somebody that you know. You end up being a little bit more conversational. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, 
Practically, in my opinion, the cons outweigh the pros. Because oftentimes, even though a person might come into the confessional and think there's no one behind me, as we get closer and closer to mass, the amount of people that come kind of accordions to where it's a lot more people that come right before mass. Because there's just people come closer to the beginning of mass rather than uh, further from the uh, beginning of mass. And so though someone might not be in line behind you when you enter the confessional, because people come in groups, there might be three people in line the moment that you leave the confessional. And so going behind the screen, because it's less conversational, allows it to be more brief and to the point. Also, the sad reality is that we live in a world with misconduct and the accusation of misconduct. And so what uh, going behind the screen provides for me is a legal barrier to avoid accusation of misconduct. I am bound by the seal of confession. I am bound so gravely by the seal of confession that I cannot even acknowledge that I heard your confession. Even if you were to say, Father, I give you permission to talk about what we talked about in confession, I'd have to act like I have no idea what you're talking about. I also want to provide anonymity for you. And so for that reason, if for I was accused of any kind of misconduct, I cannot legally in a court of law stand up for myself. What I can have is a whole church that knows Father doesn't really hear confessions face to face. He couldn't have done that. And so that is one of the sad realities that must be dealt with. If there is an occasion to where you would like to talk more about a confession, let's say it's something like an ongoing relationship with somebody that's incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult to forgive, or it's an ongoing medical situation that um, needs to be addressed within a marriage and that's morally complicated, or if it's just any kind of spiritual direction, I am open and available to do that whenever. Uh, all you have to do is call the office. And then lastly, not in on such a practical and drab note, what are the fruits of confession? There's countless of them, but I acknowledge at least four. First, humility. Humility is the basis for the Christian life, and it's humbling to go to confession. In the same way that Abraham has to go from the bottom of the mountain, knowing that he has to give up the son whom he loves to the father. So we have to go giving up the sins that we love to the father to be sacrificed. But Abraham makes that act because, as the letter of Hebrews says, he has full certitude that God can raise from the dead. We make the act of going to confession, recognizing that we do fall into sin and that we might fall into sin again. But I am more certain that God can raise me from the dead spiritually and morally. And so, though it is an act of humility, humility is the foundation of the spiritual life. Confession also provides certitude. Confession provides certitude. 
I was uh, hunting last year with a friend's brother who was Protestant, and he just, all of a sudden, I was shocked, burst into praise with the hotel clerk saying, you know who this man is? This man is a priest. You know what that man can do? He can say, my son, you are forgiven of your sins. He said, could you imagine hearing that? And I was shocked because this is a Protestant. This is a man who's never darkened the doors of a confessional. But he himself understood there's something profoundly healing about having a human person tell you your sins are forgiven, which makes sense. Because whenever we commit a sin, that sin remains in our memory. And like talked about a couple homilies ago with the healing of the memory, whenever a priest tells you or a human tells you with authority that your sins are forgiven, it heals that memory. I have a concrete experience, certitude, that I am forgiven of my sins. Provides certitude. And then lastly, provides resurrection. As we heard in the gospel, Jesus is showing the prefiguring of his resurrection so that he can show us that we will resurrect. And in the same way how Jesus' clothes dazzle white, so our virtues start to dazzle white with clarity so for the world to see. It causes a resurrection that keeps us out of shame so that we can love freely. Someone after the four o'clock mass said, Father, that was a great explanation of confession. I have a lot of Protestant friends. And they asked me, why do you go to confession? And I say, I don't know the reason, but I know that when I walk into confession, I'm like this. And when I walk out of confession, I'm like this. There's a literal resurrection that occurs because that word resurrect in Greek means to stand up or to stand aright. Confession causes this. And so... Because the Lord desires to share his mercy with us through his humanity, as he has died for us in his humanity so that we may be saved, we can confess our sins, though with the anxiety that accompanies a real acknowledgement that I commit evil, there is a deeper faith that God can raise us from the dead.